Well, today I've got some things that kind of really do tie in with the 4th of July, but yet are a message unto themselves that really are, go way beyond that. Let's bow our head. Let's prepare our heart as we get ready to receive the message this morning. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, as we come today, we ask that you give clarity of mind, articulation of speech, and boldness of spirit. Father, to be able to speak forth as your oracle to deliver your word today. Father, not of any ability that I have or any thoughts that I have, but may it be your word, pure and from the throne room of heaven. And Father, let each one have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to be doers of your word, submitting themselves to you and being transformed and renewed in their mind as a result. Father, we thank you for your word. It's forever established in heaven. Father, it is the final word on everything of which we are so thankful for. We thank you that the word was made flesh and dwelled among us. The beginning was the word, and the word is with God, and the word was God. And so we receive it this morning as we would if Jesus walked into this room. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. Well, today I want to talk about uh, dreams. And my title is The Master Dreamer's Model. And as I said before, in America, we've seen a change. We, we saw you know, people coming over that were immigrants. We saw people that were fleeing religious persecution in the beginning. People who wanted to start a whole new uh, world of self-governance where the Bible would be the main governing thing. Now, I'm not so naive as to think everyone who came over in those early years to America were Christians. Well, we know differently. But we do know that many of the leaders followed after the Word of God. We do know that George Washington had dreams about the inception of this nation and even how the demise of this nation could happen. God showed the, the founders many things, gave many dreams, many supernatural things could be read. Uh, Glenn Beck, I was told by uh, Don Workman, uh, read Washington's speech, farewell speech, and told many things of would come to America if we didn't disallow them, and they are truly happening today, exactly as he said. We don't have time to go into that. That would take a long time. But there's many, many things where uh, the dreams that our founders had have flourished and many things have come to pass, but then there's been a change. I believe that we've gone from a template of what I call a Joseph type of dream to a selfish, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to say always that it's this way, but many times we've gone from divine dream that God gives to the American dream. And I'm not down on America, I'm not down on American dream, but yet they are very different from the dreams that our founders had. In the beginning, our founders, I believe, had a dream that centered around God, centered around serving others, and centered around the kingdom uh, that they were seeking after, the kingdom of God. I believe today that the American dream centers around self. I believe it centers around ambition, personal ambition. And I believe because of it, our country is decaying. I believe that we're going down a road that's wrong. And so today I want to talk about uh, the difference. I want to delineate between the type of dream that Joseph followed after that saved a nation by his serving and his lowly, humble position, and how God exalted him because he humbled himself. And I want to contrast that with what is going on in our nation today. I see in, in, in the book of Timothy where it says, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be heady, lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Heady, high-minded. They'll be unthankful, they'll be unholy, the Bible says. That there will come a time where they will profess to be wise, 
but they'll become fools because of their unthankfulness, it says in Romans 1. We could go on and on with the scriptures that talks about a decadence that will set in one day, in the last days. And it says, because they love not the truth, God will turn them over to a delusion because they did not love the truth. And that word love there is agape, as as Brother Jeff shared with us the other night. Agape means unconditional love for the truth. Even though the truth may go cross-grain with my flesh, even though sometimes the truth, I don't like to hear it, Sometimes the truth is, is a hard thing to follow after, but we need to agape it, an unconditional love of truth. How many of you believe that you, you have an unconditional love for the truth? You know, and the Bible says in Psalms 119, 165, it says, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You see, there's something about when you love God's word, the truth, which Jesus said, my word is truth, uh, that you won't be offended. And I really believe that that is, that is a big part of our walk with God is, is to love the truth to the point where it does not offend us, where we just choose, you know, we just choose, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow after truth uh, no matter how it feels to my flesh. So today I want to talk about Joseph as he serves as a blueprint for dr- divine dream fulfillment. And I really want to focus in on that because everybody, I believe, has an assignment from heaven. God has a plan. He says, I know the plans that I have for you of good and not for evil, to give you a hope, to give you an expected end, to prosper you, not to harm you. Many, I mean, that, that verse is translated a lot of neat ways. You can, you can receive a lot of things from that verse. But God, how many of you believe that God has a dream or a vision or a plan, whatever you want to call it for your life? Raise your hand if you believe that God has something that he's called you to do. See, without that, we don't have purpose. Without that, it's going to be very hard to carry on through the difficulties of life. And I believe that the dream anchors you and keeps you on course when things get difficult. And so Joseph, he, you know, when you talk about Joseph, you really talk about a guy who had probably one of the premier, most notable dreams, dream life. He had a couple of dreams there, uh, unlike anybody else. And when you think of Joseph, you think the dreamer. You know, in one verse it says the brothers looked up and said, oh, the dreamer cometh. And so we're going to read a little bit about that. And we're going to begin there in Genesis 37. So open your Bibles today, and we're going to look at this blueprint for divine fulfillment. Genesis 37, verses 5 through 19. And I'm going to read it. It's a little bit lengthy, but you can bear with. And Joseph dreamed a dream and told it to his brother, brethren, and they hated him yet the more. See, he was favored by his father. He had this robe of many colors. And it goes on and says, And he said unto them, Here, I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, the sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood around about and made obeisance to my sheaf. Well, right then, they're thinking, Are you trying to position yourself over us, little brother? And it goes on, And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more. They already hated him because he was his dad's favorite. For the dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed and dreamed more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. Wow. So you got to remember later on, if you remember the name that Pharaoh gave Joseph, which I believe was divinely ordained, means that he had the power as of a god. Very strange. I mean, very unique things being said here. And he told it to his father and his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and my, mo- 
and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come and bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? It's like, this kid's got an ego problem. I mean, we've raised a narcissist, dear. What are we going to do with him? And his brethren envied him. And his father observed the saying. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I'll send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said unto him, Go, I pray thee, uh, and see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he went, sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence. They're playing hooky, probably. For I heard them say, Yet uh, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when he Excuse me, and when they saw him afar off, even before they, he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they, excuse me, and they said one to another, Behold, the dreamer cometh. Okay. Interesting thing when you look up that word dreamer in the Hebrew. What they actually said is the master dreamer. Now I find that interesting that God allowed him to be named that, even if it's nicknamed, even if it was in jest, if it was in negativity, because many things that happen in the Bible that are said in a way that doesn't seem to be necessarily God-ordained turns out to be that God allowed that for a reason. And I believe that the master dreamer, you can take it as simple as this, you know, when we create the bulletin every Sunday, my wife creates the master copy. And the master copy is the one to be emulated, to be copied, the one that needs to get out. And I really believe that Joseph was the master dreamer. And I believe this is a template. I really believe that this is a blueprint of how God speaks to people through dreams and how they respond and how that entire process is carried out in our lives. Because I'll tell you something, there's a lot of talk out there about dreams. There's a lot of talk out there about vision. But a lot of it doesn't necessarily line up with the template of Joseph. And if you look at Joseph's model or the template or the blueprint that God uses with Joseph, it very much aligns itself with Jesus. You know, there's a book out there called 101 Parallels Between Joseph and Jesus. Joseph is probably maybe the strongest and most predominant typology of Christ in all the characters of the Old Testament. Moses ranks right up there and and there's some others too, but Joseph, more than any others, how he went to the pit and he rose, he was killed by his, or he was, they tried to kill him, his brothers, and he, you know, going down into the pit and back out of the grave. And there's so many things. You can just go through parallel after parallel. We're not even going to get on that today. We've done that in other sermons, but they, the parallels are immense. And so I really believe that the dream and the vision uh, here is something very, very powerful. And it's about serving. But, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think that he was going to be the servant. Because here you, you go, you've got Joseph, and he has these dreams. And, you know, after the first one, when the brothers didn't like it, I probably wouldn't have told him the second one. But, you know, I, again, divine is kind of like that divine mishaps that really all things work together for good. Because, you know what? 
if he wouldn't have told those dreams in the very end of the thing. God knows the beginning from the end, amen? He knows the end from the beginning. But, the very, but see, it was a testimony to what would happen one day. If he didn't ever told them that they were going to bow down, that when it finally came, and we all know how the story ends, that they're bowing down to him, and then he reveals who he is, and then they're reconciled, and then they are delivered, and he serves them, and he saves them, and it's a wonderful story. But see, without that anger, you know, they probably would have forgotten it. I mean, do any of you remember a dream that your child told you 30, 40 years ago? See, but these dreams provoked them. These dreams awakened them. These dreams, you know, they did something, you know, and I believe that was so there would be this deeply ingrained testimony in those brothers' minds so that when it all finally came to pass after many years, it was undeniably God doing this thing. So when we look at that, we can see that, you know, he's got these brothers and, and they're, they're, they're not liking him at all. And this dream ultimately ends up to be about serving. But let me talk for a moment and diverge from that. So that's the master dreamer. That's uh, who we're going to be talking about today. But before we do, I want to just clear up a couple of things where I think many people think dreams are just personal ambitions. Very different models today. I'm going to call it the Joseph dream and the American dream. The Joseph dream is a divinely given dream. It has authenticity. And it's given to serve and to save others. The American dream has turned into this, and I believe it probably was a godly dream in the very beginning. But the American dream is a human dream. It's not necessarily divine. It's kind of a counterfeit because, you know, it talks about dream and good things and all that, but it's not necessarily God-driven. And usually the American dream is to serve self and to save self. And that contrast, you know, in the American dream... uh, really comes from the secular culture using godly principles for self-ambition and gratification many times. And I know people, they say, brother, I'm living the dream. I've got the address, I've got the model and make a car, and I've got the bank account and the investment portfolio to prove I have been living the American dream. Well, good for you, but you know what? All that means is your pile of ashes is going to be bigger than the next guy on Judgment Day. Because if the American dream only goes till we die and we live for eternity trillions and trillions of years and we spent 80 little years in this little entrance exam called our life here on earth and that's all it really is is a little tiny entrance exam into a great big huge eternity and if you think that that was the final culmination the the great dream then you're very small and you're very uh, not thinking big picture see let's go beyond the time here now yes God wants to bless us in the here and now yes God wants us to live by vision and dream now God wants to do great things through us now, but not with the intention of us making ourselves great, rich, or having great ambition, or doing something for ourselves, or making a name for ourselves in this world. That's not the type of dream that Joseph had. Can I get an amen? amen? Joseph communicated those dreams, but that doesn't mean that he understood them as to being how great I am and how I'm going to be exalted. And maybe even he didn't, but brother and sister, he paid a big price of being humbled before God exalted him. You know, the Bible says, humble yourself and God will exalt you. It says it in Peter, it says it in James. But, you know, really, this dream that Joseph has, very different. And the American dream is more of a secular, cultural dream. And it's using godly principles for sometimes selfish reasons. You know, you you go back and there's a lot of people that are going to be successful in their earthly dream. But one day, 
it's all going to be for bad. Turn with me to Isaiah, the 14th chapter. I'm going to just read, you know, Lucifer, he was the high angel of heaven. And I believe the dream that God gave him was that he was the covering cherub, it says in Ezekiel. It says that he was the one who had the tablets and the pipes or the musical abilities in the book of Ezekiel. I believe he was probably the praise and worship leader of the choir of angels in heaven. From everything we can figure and we can see, I'm not going to make that a hardcore doctrine or anything, but I really believe, most scholars believe that. And that he was the covering cherub. He was the high of the three archangels. He was the highest because he was also called the covering cherub. And that was like the one who would guard the holy of holies. He had the inner sanctum with God and the closest access from things that we see being said in the book of Ezekiel. We see a very interesting relationship that when he fell, one-third of the angels fell with him in Revelation, the seventh chapter. So here's a guy who, who is pretty high up uh, and it was kind of, if you could say, living the divine dream that God had put him to do what he was doing. But then we see that he got into some type of ambition and and some type of idea of his own apart from God. And we see this picture of those who are like him and one day how they will be in hell together and how these great ambitious leaders, and, and I've seen people like this, and we're in Isaiah 14 and 9, and they're going to rise up and question him about it. And look what it says in verse 9. It's in Isaiah 14 and 9. It says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. Talking about the inhabitants of hell. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. Wow. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings and all the nations. These are some pretty powerful people. These are people who've had some human type of dreams come true. I mean, they, like, like Mr. Putin, you know. Mr. Putin, I, I read not too long ago, is worth $100 billion dollars. About twice what Bill Gates is worth. How many of you know $100 billion is a lot of money? Putin has $100 billion. He has 37 mansions that are like $50 million bucks a piece or somewhere, you know, 30, 50 million bucks. But his salary is only about $235,000 in American dollars. wonder where all that money comes from. Pretty ambitious guy. And, and I see what I see, the kings of the earth and the chief ones of the earth. They're down in hell. And boy, they were the, they were the uh, successful dudes. They, arrived, they were living, you know, I, I bet if you ask Mr. Putin if he's living the dream, I mean, he can have any lady he wants, he can have any luxury he wants, he can have any lust that he wants. Uh, you know, for a heathen guy like that, I, I'll bet he'd say he's living the dream. You know, he, he, he was on, you know, he could be on the lifestyles of the rich and famous, living that dream, you know. But then I think, but what good is it? Jesus says, what, is it, what good if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? And so here's all the chief ones of the earth. Chief ones probably in industry. Chief ones in business. Chief ones from Hollywood. The chief ones from academia. All, it says all the chief ones of the earth. All those who'd reached the pinnacle of their ambitions were there. And the chief one of the angels, they were waiting for him. And there's going to be this reception. All the ones who had their all-powerful you know, dream fulfilled, so to speak. But what good does it do? 
And they shall speak and say unto him, Art thou also become weak as we? Oh, what happened to all that greatness? And then it says, Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave. And the noise of thy vials, the worm, the noise of thy vials, in other words, he was musical. And the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said, now here was his dream, for thou hast said, this is his ambition, for thou hast said, this is his goal. For thou hast said, this is the vision that he had for himself. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Ooh, that doesn't sound like humble yourself and let God exalt you. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. That sounds pretty ambitious to me. I will sit also at the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. You see, ambition can go awry. But see, Joseph, his dream was very different. He spent his whole time serving others. See, you know, it says, except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Anybody know people that are doing great things, but God's not part of it? Anybody know people are doing great things, but it all just really always just benefits them? Yeah, I know some people like that. See, Matthew says this, that he that's going to be the chiefest of all, Jesus said, he that's going to be the chiefest of all, will be the servant of all. And boy, did that really play out in the life of Joseph. You know, Joseph never did anything but serve everybody else the majority of his early life. And you know, all this ambition that many times people have, it's, it's all for nothing in the end, because the dream is an American dream. It's not a God-built heavenly dream. You know, Paul said, I was obedient to the heavenly vision. Paul got put to death by Roman soldiers. Paul, Paul lived a life of sacrifice and serving others. So when we look, you know, many people say, well, but I've dreamed this, I've dreamed this. Turn with me to Jeremiah 29 and 8. And sometimes people get so caught up in their dream it isn't really from God, that they, they start dreaming their desires. And we've got to be careful with that. Jeremiah 29, 8 says this, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you. Neither hearken to your dreams, which ye cause to be dreamed. See, we've got to discern which dreams are from God and which ones are from us. Let me say that again. Neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. We can cause our own dreams to come. Ecclesiastes 3.5 says it like this. It says, For a dream cometh through a multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. In another place it says over in uh, Isaiah 29.8, it says when... Uh, being thirsty, I dreamed about water. Being hungry, I dreamed about eating. 
See, there's two things. Sometimes we can have overly busyness or we can begin to obsess and we'll start having dreams. But that doesn't mean that they're from God. See, so how do we discern? Uh, the dreams that come from God are always based on these things. Serving others and saving others. See, when your dream is about you, say, stop, 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 test all things, prove all things, hold fast to that which is true, it says in Thessalonians. I need to judge this dream. I need to judge this direction in my life. I need to ask myself, am I working for me? Or, you know, and maybe you have a business. Have you consecrated that business to God? Have you consecrated the profits of that business to serve God? Are you, are you doing it to get money from people? Or are you getting it to serve people? You know, there's two ways of looking at business. I'll never forget Ed Cole, one of the greatest teachers of Christian men, said this. He says, I don't have clients, I have friends. I don't do business with them, I serve them. And he says, I don't see myself as a person trying to do business. I see myself as a person who is out there to meet needs and give answers and solutions to problems. Can I get an amen this morning? You see, when we begin, see, we don't conform our Christianity to a business paradigm. We conform our business paradigm to Christianity. Because one is going to conform to the other. Let me tell you something right now. One will conform to the other. And I'm, and I'm going to take, if I were a businessman, the first thing I would do is make sure that the tithe off the business and my personal tithe uh, got where it belonged and that I was not out to make money from people, but I was out to bring service and solutions and answers to people and serving them and meeting their needs and be a servant to those who I'm doing business with. And when you do that, I'll guarantee you, your business will flourish. I guarantee you, God will take hold and become your senior partner in that business, and he'll take you places where you could never go before. And Joseph's life proves this. Now we're going to get into some elements here that are very profound. You know, what Jesus said, Whosoever will be the chief among you, let him be your servant. Matthew 20, 26 and 27. Philippians 2, 3 through 9. Let's, just, let's go to Philippians. This is wonderful. When you read this, it's, it's very powerful when you see what Paul says. In Philippians, I love this verse of scripture. It really tells us a lot about how we're supposed to think and view things. And it says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, uh, but out in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's how Jesus thought. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion of men and humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, the most humiliating of all. And wherefore God just left him there and kind of abandoned him, verse 9, and let him be the lowest guy in the room. Oh, wait a minute. No, it doesn't say that. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things of earth and things under the earth. That sounds a lot like Joseph's situation. He was put way, way down in the pit, in the prison, and it really had, you know, a lowly existence, but then he rose up above everybody, and everybody who came and bought grain from Joseph had to bow down to him. 
if you remember the text, because it does say that. You see, it's interesting how God takes, you know, James 4.10 and says, humble yourself and God will exalt you. Most people try to exalt themselves, then God has to humble them. If you you humble yourself, God will exalt you. And I I guarantee you this, God will do a lot better job exalting you than you will exalting yourself. You just do a good job of humbling yourself and God will exalt you to the degree that you humble yourself. Can I get an amen? amen? It says the same thing as 1 Peter 5 and 6. The key to Joseph's success was serving others and as the path to your dream success is serving others. Your dream isn't for you. I've got news for you this morning. Your dream is not for you. It's to serve others and it's for the kingdom of God. If God's given you a dream to be a, a successful businessman, uh, to be a doctor or to be uh, you know, an engineer or to be some type of professional or some type of businessman or, some, or a minister or a teacher or something like that, he's given you a gift and a dream that only that gift can, be, can fulfill that dream. Your gift is the only gift that can fulfill that dream. And he's given it to you so that you can serve others. And in so doing, one day you'll be served better than all the rest. And that's, a, and that's a great promise of the scriptures. But we have got to learn, if we're not faithful in another man's, he'll not give us our own, it says in Luke. But when we're faithful to serve other people, then God can trust us to be served and to be exalted by him. Boy, you don't want to exalt yourself. That's what Lucifer tried to do. Can I get an amen? We, we want to always be serving and uh, doing the things, even if there's suffering involved and self has to be put down, we need to be serving and saving others. Now, we're going to walk through a little bit of Joseph's life here. It's, it's really an amazing, it's an amazing story. <clears throat> and I, I always put it like this. It's really the Galatians 6, you know, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know, Joseph sowed serving for a long time before anybody bowed down to him. And what you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. Let me, let me just say that again. What you make happen for others. Everybody say that. What you make happen for others. God will make happen for you. That's what your dreams need to be based on. That's what the Joseph dream is based on. That's what I call the divine template. That's what I call the Joseph model. The Joseph model is we serve others, and in so doing, that's what brings our dreams to pass. And we're, you know, a lot of it is hard work. And serving others has three traits, and there's only one way that you'll continue to serve others. Because you know, serving others, how many of you, when people say, yeah, I deal with the public, it's not fun. How many of you have dealt with the public? How many of the public isn't very Christian anymore? And they aren't very nice about a lot of things. But there's three traits that you're going to have to have in serving others. Number one, excellence. The Bible says that uh, the righteous is more excellent than his neighbor, but the way of the wicked seduces him. The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor. See, one of the ways that we portray God's righteousness is being more excellent. That doesn't just mean we can like run a race faster, but more excellent in our kindness, more excellent in our love, more excellent in our serving, more excellent in our uh, just doing a good job. Number two, we see Joseph fulfilled all three of these traits. Patience or long-suffering. In Hebrews it says, you have need of patience. It says, be imitators of those who by faith and patience inherit the promises. How many of you know old Mr. Noah had to have a lot of patience to build that ark? And then not offendable. How many of you know it's really easy to get offended? It's, you know, excellence takes going the extra mile. Patience means waiting the extra hour. 
And not being offended takes the extra amount of love and uh, long-suffering and, and just a lot of things. You know, in Psalms 119, it says, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Great peace have they that agape thy law. Great peace have they that are committed to loving God's word, and nothing shall offend them. It says only by, in another place, it says only by pride cometh contention in Proverbs. So don't get offended because that, all that does is reveal that you have some type of pride in your life. But when we humble ourselves, we're ready to serve others. When we're ready to serve others and we humble ourselves, God's getting ready to exalt you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God wants to exalt you this morning. God wants you to have your dreams come to pass this morning. Say it. God wants you to have your dreams come to pass this morning. Amen. But he just wants us to do it the right way. How many of you want to do it the right way? The right way is always a little bit harder than the wrong way. The uphill climb is always different than the downhill slide. And and I'd rather be on the uphill climb than the downhill slide. And so we we need to remember that anything that's worth, worth having is worth working for. And so let me give you three men in three places where Joseph served. Number one was the house of Potiphar. We all know the story. Joseph was sold by his lovely brothers into slavery. They threw him in a pit. And just like with Jesus. And so turn with me to Genesis 37 again. We're going to go back there and we're going to look some more at the story. And you can see there that in uh, verse 28, we see, and I'm, I'm going to just kind of cut some of these down and just show them to you. We won't read the whole text. Then there passed by the Midianites. See, that when they, when they found Joseph and they said, hey, the dreamer cometh, or the, the master dreamer is coming. They said, what are we going to do with this guy? And some of the brothers says, let's kill him. Another brother, I think it was Reuben, says, nah, we don't want to kill him. And so they threw him in a pit, and then they're deciding, what are we going to do with this kid? You know, we, we, can't, we can't put up with these silly dreams and his self-exalting attitude any longer. We, we had to teach this boy a lesson. And, and someone wanted to kill him. Reuben says, nah. And then all of a sudden, these Ishmaelites come along. and says, let's sell him to those guys. Let's sell him. Let's make some money. We'll take his fancy little mini-colored coat, go kill something, get some blood on it, go back tell Dad that some animal killed him, and that way we're kind of off the hook. And that's what they did. They really conspired against him. And they sold him into slavery. Look what it says in verse 28. Then there passed by Midianites, not Ishmaelites, Midianites, I'm sorry, merchantmen. And they drew and they lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites. Oh, there it is. For 20 pieces of silver. You know, just like Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt, and Reuben returned unto the pit. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he wept, and he rent his clothes. So we've got a bad situation here. Joseph gets sold, and then we we pick up the story, and he's coming into Egypt. And uh, we can go over to chapter 39, and, and we can see that he's sold to a guy by the name of Potiphar. Now we're in Genesis 39, 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. An Egyptian brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph. See, that's, that's the key thing. Everybody say, the Lord was with Joseph. And he was prospering, a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, let me, this is an amazing thing. Did you know you don't have to be a majority to change things. Here's this little guy, Joseph. He's a godly guy. He's got God with him. He goes into this big, powerful, ranking general, heathen man, into his estate and starts working for him. 
But the Lord is with Joseph, and was pros- he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. You know, even a heathen can tell if the Lord is with you. And that the Lord had made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And how many of you know, you can tell when God's blessing is on somebody. And Joseph found grace in in his sight. And how many of you know, you can have grace and favor even with the most wicked men. I know people that have. And Joseph found grace in the sight. And he served him and he made him an overseer over his house and of all that he had and he put into his hand. And it came to pass from that time that he had made him an overseer of his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. You know, you can even cause somebody else's place to prosper. You can go work at a company and because you're there, God will bless the whole thing. I mean, that's great power with God. That's what happens when you humble yourself. He didn't go in there and say, I'm the boss. He didn't go in there and say, I've had a dream. And, and he didn't go in there and say, you know, I've got a great destiny. He went in there as a humble servant. Now, how many of you, you know, I wouldn't want to start out being somebody's slave. You know, he bought him. He, he, he owned him. He didn't just work for him. He owned him. So that is lowly servant slave class being godly. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer, in the house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in all that in the field. And the blessing of the Lord it makes rich, and he has no sorrow with it, it says in Proverbs ten twenty two. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not what he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. But then verse seven. How many of you know about the time you start prospering, the devil wants to get involved and mess up? And it came to pass that after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. And, and verse 8 is the key verse, but he refused. He fled, he got falsely accused, and he got thrown in prison. But you know, we don't see any place where it talks about Joseph saying, well, you know, I, uh, I spent all that time working for you and, and, uh, and I'm really offended that your silly wife got weird with me, and, and uh, we can see that he had excellence. He caused the whole place to prosper. Three, three traits. Now, let's look and see if he had three traits in this house of, in the house of Potiphar. He had those three traits. He was excellent. He ran the place for him. Number two, he was patient. He was to say, when are you going to promote me? When are you going to make me, uh, you know, uh, the head over everything and give me every, you know, he, he, he was patient, and he was not offended. You know, he was put in prison, and you don't hear a word about how we spoke against Potiphar or his wife. You don't hear him grumbling. You don't hear anything. There's nothing in the text saying that Joseph wanted to go back and kill him. You can't see anything in the text where Joseph says how wicked they were. And you don't see anything in the text about, oh, how much injustice I've had. How many of you know he was a guy who was there to serve with long-suffering and patience, not offended, but still doing an excellent job? You know, some people, they'll do an excellent job until they get offended. And that just tells you who they're doing it for. See, we're supposed to do all things as under the Lord. Can I get an Amen. Do all your work is under the Lord. But, you know, some people get offended and all of a sudden their level of work changes. Well, I don't like working here anymore. Well, you know, I used to like my boss until he did this, and why should I put out for him? How many of you know if you're doing it for the Lord, it should always be excellent? If you're going to be a testimony and a witness and a light for the Lord, it should always be excellent. And it shouldn't be, well, I liked the, I liked the boss when he was nice to me, but now, you know, he, he did some things, he put somebody else over me, and now I don't like him. 
How many of you know we should always be the same? And you know, I've been here for this many years, and, and I can't understand why I don't have some type of a raise yet. I don't know why I don't have a promotion yet. How many of you know you need to stay in patience? You need to always be excellent. You need to always be patient, and you, don't, and you need to always not be offended. Because you know what? That boss that maybe had to uh, demote you or do something, uh, later on he might promote you again. See, we, we, got, we got to be like Joseph. Joseph is a template. Joseph is the master dreamer. Joseph shows us the way for our path to take us to that ultimate culmination of the dream. Because most people, they, they don't have enough patience. They give up. Most people give up on excellence and they start doing subpar work. Most people get offended somewhere along the way, and the dream never gets to be fulfilled because it gets aborted because of one of those three things. Somebody say amen. See, we get, but if you, if you look at it like this, this dream isn't about me. This dream isn't to exalt me. This dream isn't about my ambition. This dream is to serve and to save others. See, when you have that, in your understanding. Because, you know, you'll always get offended when it's about you. It's always going to be an offense when somebody disrupts what you want. It's, but when it's, I, I entered into this thing knowing it wasn't about me. I entered into this thing knowing I'm going to serve people. I entered into this thing knowing that I'm going to have to be patient. It might take way longer than I thought. I entered into this thing knowing I'm always going to do a good job, whether I feel like it, whether I don't feel like it, whether anybody notices it, whether anybody appreciates it, I'm still going to do a good job because I'm doing it for Jesus. And patience, I don't care how long it takes. If Noah took 100 years to build the ark, I can, I can, I can go with this. So there's going to have to be patience. There's going to have to stay in excellence. And then you're, most of all, you're going to have to stay unoffended. And just say, no, nope, I'm not going to let that boss get to me. I'm not going to let that fellow worker get to me. I'm not going to let that person at church get to me. I am just going to stay the same like God. You know, we're supposed to be like God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't get offended. God operates in perfect love. Joseph really reflects Jesus. Jesus didn't hate his brethren for crucifying him. Crucify him. You know, he walked in and he said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that week when he came into Jerusalem, on that Easter week, by midweek they're saying, By what authority do you do this? They're starting to question him. And then by the time the week was over, they're screaming, Crucify him, crucify him. How I many you know that? That's that you started out and they were your fans and then it ended up they were your enemies. That's what happened to Jesus. You know, his brothers became his enemy, Potiphar's wife became his enemy. And all these things. But let's go on to the, next, to the next place. Let's go over to Genesis 39 and verse 21. We'll just go to verse 20. It says, And Joseph's master took him and he put him into the prison on a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. Falsely accused. Gosh, Potiphar's wife got by. She took him to court. She got him thrown in prison. I mean, she's the, she's the big honcho general's wife. She pulled some strings and Joseph, the little nobody, got thrown in prison. But the Lord is with Joseph. How many of you know it's always good when the Lord's with you? If God before you, who can be against you, right? But the Lord is with Joseph, and he showed him mercy. And he gave him favor. One day of favor is worth a thousand days of work. You can work and work and work and never get promoted, but you have a little bit of favor, you can get promoted overnight. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. Boy, that's trusting somebody, isn't it? 
He probably knew that it was a big lie. He probably knew about Potiphar's wife, what kind of a lady she was. And there might have been 10 other guys in there for the same reason. And whatsoever they did there, he was the one doing it. And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand. Because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. In other words, he comes in now. Now he's not a servant. You know, he starts out working for the military, and he's a servant. Now he goes to prison, and he works as a prisoner. How many of you know a servant has a certain amount of freedom, but how many of you know a prisoner has even less freedom? And, you know, it's, it's pretty humbling to be a servant and to be owned by someone. Somebody owns you, and they're your master, and you have to do what they say. But it's even more humbling to have to go to prison. Can I get an amen? So, you know, one person says, the way up is down. Humble yourself, go down, and God will exalt you. It's just the opposite of what the world teaches. Try to exalt yourself, and God will have to humble you. You see, Joseph seemingly, in the natural, was on his way down, not on his way up. And I'll bet he was thinking, if he ever remembered that dream, now, unless my brothers all get thrown in prison with me, I don't know when they're going to bow to me, Lord. Now, you think about how discouraging that might have been. But he didn't have an attitude. He didn't say, well, you know, I'm disserving and being excellent junk. I don't want to. I mean, look where, look where it got me, Lord. I'm in prison now. Thank you very much. Serving, I served him so excellently, and where does it get me? It gets me nothing. Patience, I spent all that time working there for Potiphar. Where did it get me? Nothing. And offense, you know, he could have been like, but how many of you know we don't see anything in the text like that? We see he goes in there and does an even better job. He could have a real attitude towards authority. Yeah, that guy was a general in the army, and you're running the prison, and this is the... The, uh, the military prison, it says right there, it was the one where the King Oz puts, put, put the uh, guys. It was all part of the same military complex. And, and he says, yeah, I'm sick of authority. I don't like authority. I don't like this king. I don't like this guy that runs the jail. I don't like being in this place. No, you don't see anything like that. He stays humble. He stays a servant. He doesn't get offended. He's patient. He still is operating in excellence because they put him in charge of the place. You want to know how to bring your dreams to pass? Be like Joseph. That's the master template. He's the master dreamer, the Bible says. He's the one that if you want to see your dreams come to pass, you don't try to exalt. You you do like Joseph and you follow these things. And he's in that prison and one day uh, they come and they throw in the butler and a baker. And uh, they're all hanging out in prison together for who knows how long. I think it was like, I know that it was two years from the time he interpreted their dreams to the time that they came and found him and got him out of prison again. But I'm wondering how many years he was in prison before they came and while they were there with him. So he was in prison for years. So here he is, and this butler and this baker got thrown in jail. And, uh, man, they both had some dreams. And I can't remember exactly how the dreams went. But the one, you know, the baker comes up and says, I had this dream, can you interpret it? It was the butler first. And uh, he says, yeah. He told him the dream, and he says, well, the dream is this. In three days, the king is going to take you out of prison and reinstate you. Wow, praise God. Then the baker comes. That was the butler. And the baker says, I had a dream too. Can you interpret my dream, Joseph? He goes, yeah. Prayed about it. 
the Lord gave him the dream because the Lord is with him. Everybody say, the Lord is with him. He says, uh, your, your dream isn't such good news, buddy. See, he'd probably done something. He probably tried to kill the king because he was, you know, he was the baker. He probably tried to poison him or something. That's why he probably found some poison. He threw both. Because, see, the baker is the guy making the food, and the butler is the guy testing the food. You've got to remember that. That's, that's what those guys, those guys did back then. The baker made the food, and the butler also tested the food. So if there was some poison found somewhere, then you didn't know who was doing it, so you just threw them both in. But anyway, so the one gets reinstated. And, uh, but the other one, who is the baker, he says, no, you're going to be put to death in three days. Wow. But he told the baker, you know, he says, you know, that's, that's your lot. And the butler, he says, but remember me when he got reinstated. He says, remember me when you go talk to the king. Well, guess what he did? He forgot about him. Great opportunity to not have patience. I've been in this prison long now. These, how many of you know when you're seeing your, your fellow prisoners getting out and you've got to stay there, patience becomes a real issue? How many of you know when you find out that he completely forgot to tell the king, the defense can become a real issue? How many of you know having just to stay in prison and do the, the same old task every day, keeping up the excellence level is a real issue? But we don't find that with Joseph. He stayed excellent. He stayed undefended. He stayed patient. He waited. And then two years later, the king has a dream. And we all know the dream where the seven fat cows come out of the river. And then all of a sudden, seven real skinny cows come out of the river. And skinny ones eat the fat ones. And then we've got sheaves coming out of the river. Big full heads and and full of wheat and all. And then seven skinny ones come up and devour it. The King wakes up and he's really troubled and none of his magicians and wizards can answer any of the questions. He says, I need somebody to interpret this dream. And the butler said, King, you know what? When I was in prison, there was this Jewish boy, this, this Hebrew, and he told me the dream that I was going to be reinstated exactly everything, just like you did it. And he can interpret your dream. He says, he can. He says, go get him. So they went and got Joseph out of the prison. He says, Joseph, this is my dream. And he tells him the dreams. He says, can you interpret that? He says, yes, I can interpret it. And he says, what it means, king, is the five, seven years, excuse me, the seven cows that are fat are seven years of plenty and prosperity coming. But then the seven cows that came out of the river that were skinny and sickly and deathly looking, that ate up the seven cows, is seven years of famine that's going to eat up everything that was accumulated during the prosperous seven years. He says, so, this is what God is saying. You're not going to be able to change that. But what you can do is you can save during the seven years of plenty to cover you through the seven years of famine. We all know that story. And so the king says, oh, that's brilliant. He says, that bears witness. I believe that's true. He says, now who should I put over it? He says, I know who I'll put over it. I'm going to put you over it, Joseph. Joseph said, me? He says, yeah, you're coming out of prison. See, you know, at some point, there's a tipping point. You serve and you serve and you give and you give and you humble yourself and you humble yourself. And then one day, the appointed time comes. It says, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Think about that. Joseph, thank God he didn't faint when it came to being excellent. Thank God he didn't faint when it came to being patient. Thank God he didn't 
faint when it came to not being offended by everybody that's doing him wrong. This is how you bring dreams to pass, folks. As you go into it as a humble servant that's there for the sake of serving and saving others, not yourself. And you see, when that time came, he gets exalted. He humbled himself. He stayed humble through all those years. And now God's exalting him. So now he can be the richest guy in Egypt. Now he can have the king's ring. And now he can be called a a god. And now he can have everybody about him. No, no, no. That came with the turf. You know the real reason why he got exalted? Because he had a family back home that was going to have a famine come. And they were all going to be starving. And he was going to save them. And in so doing, save the very lineage that Jesus Christ came to us through. He ended up, we know the story, he sent, the brothers came, he found out his brothers are here and they're, they're needing grain for the family and he hides it and he doesn't let them know it's Joseph. He sends them back several times, back and forth, and then finally he reveals to those brothers, I'm your brother that you threw in the pit. And what, God, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. And you tried to kill me, but I'm here today to save you. That sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? They came to kill him, but he came to save them. And you want to see a dream come true, you need to base it on the template of Joseph because the template that Joseph based his dream and how to bring it to pass is based on the very dream that Jesus had when he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Can I get an amen? See, when we understand that dreams aren't about us or for us, but the American dream is, you know, oh, how you know, great I am and what I can achieve and it's all about me. God will put that down. But if you will get your dreams that you believe come from God and get it submitted to humility, get your dreams submitted that you're here to serve and to save, get that dream submitted to patience, humility, excellence at all costs. Always do your best. Always serve with excellence. God can take that dream and use it to serve others, to serve God, to serve the kingdom of God. And that will always be something that God will exalt because Jesus came and he humbled himself and made him a man. But one day every knee would bow and one day every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is King and Lord. And you see, if you build it on any other paradigm, you're building on a satanic Luciferian paradigm because Lucifer came to exalt himself. He came to try to put himself over others. He came and had a bunch of followers who were down in hell waiting for him who followed his stupid template, who followed his stupid way of doing things, of trying to exalt himself. And he had to go down there humiliated and become one of the losers of eternity in hell. But let me tell you something. When you do it God's way, it's undefeatable. And what the enemy tries to do to stop you, you can have a Potiphar's wife try to throw you in prison. You can have a butler that forgets all about you for two years. You can have brothers that try to kill you and throw you in a pit, but you're always still coming up with resurrection power. And you always come out on top. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, let's stand up. We'll be dismissed here. How many of you believe that you've got a dream for your life? How many of you believe that if you submit to these things, God can take you much further than you can take yourself? I believe that. Amen. Don't be offended. Don't quit. Don't ever stop being excellent. See, his brothers bowed down to him. And then they realized it was their brother and said, now we understand that we're bowing down to you because you came and you saved us.
Mankind will bow down to Jesus one day and say, now we understand because you came to save us. And they won't mind bowing down. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads.